it, it sent me on that path. It, it's, it's not to say that instantly because I, I had diabetes, you know, some adversity in my life that I was immediately resilient. I think that, that right. resilience and that mindset and that discipline and all, all of that good stuff we all want. I think the most important thing is to realize it's, it's not an attribute, it's a practice. So it's, it's not something we have or that we don't have. It's, it's something we commit to. It's a practice. It's a daily practice like meditation. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Sebastian Sassaville. Sebastian was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2002, the most severe form of diabetes. Sebastian vowed that the obstacle would never keep him from living life to the fullest, and today his story is a testament to how challenges can be turned into opportunities. In 2008, Sebastian reached the summit of Mount Everest. He then completed six Ironmans and the mythical Sahara Race, a 250-kilometer self-supported ultramarathon over five days through the Sahara Desert. In 2014, he faced the biggest challenge of his life, a run across Canada from St. John's, Newfoundland to Vancouver, 7,200 kilometers or 170 marathons in nine months. His next big adventure is coming up very soon. Hint, it involves lots of cycling, but you'll have to listen to the interview to get the details. Sebastian also spent 10 years in the corporate world, and blends that experience with his unique athletic achievements to deliver inspirational and motivational keynotes to large organizations. Per his LinkedIn profile, he works with performing organizations that have reached base camp, but are looking to transform so as to dictate rhythm, stay at the forefront, and get to the top. Some of his clients include Cisco, SAP, and Johnson & Johnson. In this interview, we get into what it's like for Sebastian to live with type 1 diabetes, his corporate career and transition to keynote speaking, what it means for him to make a real impact, and his many feats of endurance. And so, without further ado, my interview with Sebastian Sasseville. So let's start things off at the beginning here. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in a pretty small town about an hour east of Quebec City. Okay. And did you grow up, spend your, pretty much your whole entire life in Canada? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I did move around a little bit. I lived in Vancouver, BC, British Columbia, uh, on the West Coast for a few years. Uh, I was in the US for about a year uh, in Rhode Island, which was um, okay. a lot of fun. And, but in Canada, most of my life, yes. Okay. And obviously, like, I know now what you do today with all like your endurance events and, you know, being an endurance athlete. Were you like a physically active kid um, growing up and like was exercise something that was encouraged by your parents growing up? No, <laughs> none <laughs> of the above. Uh, no, I, I wasn't really active. I, I, um, I wasn't really gifted in sports. Uh, my, my, what was most important to my parents was uh, work and hard work. And um, so I, I did work on a farm um, 
next to where we lived. Um, so that's that's about the only physical activity that I got as a kid, and I did get a fair amount <laughs> with that that type of work. But um, right. no, I wasn't in all the sports team uh, teams as a kid, and my parents were not really. You know, they were living an LT lifestyle, but they were not running marathons or any of that. Right. Okay. So it wasn't until you got older that that mm-hmm. that that yeah came to the forefront. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Even in college, I was not active at all. Uh, typical college kid. Not that all college kids are are not active, but um, I spent a lot more time at the pub than than him <laughs> at the time, which is not abnormal i guess but yeah um no it was um i started to 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 incorporate physical activity and truly make it a lifestyle a little later in life okay and as you were growing up and going into college like what did you think you wanted to do for a career and like with your life just generally i wanted i wanted to be an architect for the longest time yeah and you know how kids you know you watch a a movie and you want to be a fireman and you watch another movie and then you want to be a police officer like i wanted to be an architect for 20 years like that's um i liked um the creativity of it um and that's i thought that's all there was about it and then when i found out that you had to be you had to be pretty good in math uh, <laughs> uh, then i was like well this is not for me um so i never really pursued it that was it just because of the the math well yeah kind of and you yeah. had to you know have a science background to like or, or the way our education system is is um is made in in quebec and it was it was the funniest thing because le- <laughs> it's almost leading up to the day i had to choose what i was going to go uh study in college i wanted to be an architect and then that day i was like no i think i'll just do something different <laughs> i have no idea what happened there but um why i i did let it go so easily uh, uh at the time because i could have said i'm just going to study harder and become good at math but i guess that that wasn't part of, of my mindset at the time i didn't have that that resilience at the time right right interesting and um so what did you end up studying then? So I went in, in studies in, in human science uh, and eventually um, got a degree in communications. Okay. Um, yeah, I studied PR in university. It was, uh, there was still some creativity about it um, that, I, that I liked. I liked that it was uh, about communication. Um, I, I, I was never like a, a big people person. I'm kind of shy in real life. But, but it, it, it appealed to me and, and then obviously realized, you know, my, my, my father worked in that field his whole life. And, and maybe, you know, there was a bit of that too. Like I just wanted to do like he did. Oh, so that's, so that's interesting. Cause, um, you do a lot of keynote speaking, um, yeah. but are you actually like an introvert and not an extrovert? Yeah, definitely. Definitely an introvert. I, I, I think um like i'm comfortable on stage because it's um not a game but it's i i don't know i I just it's it's not even the speaking that i enjoy um 
uh, although I've, I, I've learned to enjoying a lot, but I, my main focus was always about the impact and how can I get up there and help some people. That's why at the beginning, because when you start, it's scary to talk in front of a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I, want, I really wanted to, to help others. So I'm like, all right, this is going to be scary and I might fumble in a few words, but um, if it's what it takes to help a few kids, because that's who I was speaking to at the beginning, um, then I was willing to, to, to get on that stage. Right. So it was, it was your passion and, and drive to help others and make that impact that um, helped you overcome kind of those nervous moments at the beginning in being on yeah. stage. Yeah. And the first, I mean, the fir first time ever that I spoke, I spoke to kids, uh, you know, in a, in a diabetes uh, summer camp. So I'm literally sitting on, on the floor talking to eight kids. Um, <laughs> so it, well, that can be pretty scary, actually. But no, it, it wasn't it wasn't so bad. Like it's, it wasn't like a big corporate audience that, you know, you had to review your messaging with a client before, blah, blah, blah. It was not, not and it was very pure. And I sometimes when I have a tough day at work, I try to reconnect with that moment, that purity of just, you know, it wasn't about being a good speaker and speaking well in front of a large crowd. None of that was involved. But the most important thing was, was involved. It was about reaching out to someone and doing something to, to help out. It was as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. So you really worked your way up uh, to the corporate events. You didn't start yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and you mentioned a diabetes there. Um, so when did you get diagnosed with type one diabetes and like, how did that diagnosis come about? I was 20, um, 22 years old when I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Uh, my younger brother, so um, um, I have two siblings, a brother and a sister. I'm the oldest. My brother was diagnosed first uh, when he was 16. So I was just a few years older. So I, and his diagnosis was, was, was it was um, a true shock for the family. We didn't know anything about diabetes. He almost died. Um, it was very traumatic, uh, for, for him, of course, for everybody. Um, so five years later, when I was diagnosed, we knew about the disease. Um, I was able to recognize the symptoms. So my diagnosis was, I mean, it sucked. It was hard, Yeah, yeah. not a pleasant day, but it was, um, not the trauma wasn't as severe because I, again, my brother almost died. It was a matter of, of minutes um, uh, where I kind of just drove myself to clinic. I, you know, and they catched it early. So I, I was, I was fine. Yeah. And, and 22 years old is quite late to be diagnosed with type one, right? Uh, yes and no. Um, okay. You would say, yeah. 20 years ago, absolutely. Uh, it was rare. It was late. Um, but, and I'm certain, I'm certain research is looking into things like that, but we're seeing people in their twenties, their thirties, uh, even people in their forties, uh, wow. being diagnosed with type one now. And it's, again, it's not that you had it and didn't know 
and it's not type two diabetes, very different. It's almost overnight, right? That you become a type one. It's very, very strange how that, how that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and like, just for like clarification purposes um, for people listening, like describe what type one diabetes is and, and how it differs from type two. Yeah. Thanks for asking because it's, it's very important. Um, so type two diabetes, um, that's 90% of people with diabetes. It's a diabetes that's caused by, um, uh, let's say suboptimal lifestyle, uh, not enough exercise, too much foods, too much sugar and all that. So it's a diabetes, type two diabetes could be avoided or at least uh, delayed. Where type one diabetes, what I have, 10% um, of patients, it's an autoimmune disease. So your immune system kind of, kind of loses it and goes down in your pancreas and, and um, destroys the, the beta cells, the, the cells that produce insulin in your pancreas. So you become uh, insulin dependent and that's for the rest of your life. So it's a very different disease, different treatments, different devices that you use. Um, management is entirely, entirely different. Um, you know, type two diabetes, early stages, it can be controlled fairly well with, you know, a pill or two every morning, and then you watch what you eat. Uh, type one diabetes is every single day, every single meat, every meal, every single time you, you're hungry or you exercise or you move more than usual when you're sick everything impacts your, 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 your blood sugars and right. you have to manage all that. It's very, very, very complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, it sounds like you've had to, must've had to really adjust and change your daily routine because of that. Entirely, entirely. Be because again, I was 22 college kid, having fun, uh, going <laughs> out almost every night. Um, so yeah, the first few months I, I stopped doing all that uh, very quickly. I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to do something good with it. Um, uh, I knew my lifestyle was lifestyle was not healthy. <laughs> so I was like, all right, maybe I just start exercising and eating better, uh, drinking less and, and all that. So, and then you have to, it, it brought, <laughs> ironically, it, it brought, discipline and, and structure to my life when you you have to take insulin shots at a certain time um uh, and and calculate how much carbs you eat and all that now obviously 20 years later i'm, I'm using different technologies i can do that for me now but it, there's still a lot of management involved so yeah it, it changes your your daily routine entirely yeah and um did the diagnosis changed like the trajectory of your life in terms of like what you wanted to do in any way, or did it, or were you still like kind of set in terms of like the type of career you wanted and, um, and that sort of stuff? It changed everything. Um, because mostly because before being diagnosed, I, I don't think I had direction. So, okay. <laughs> so I don't know if I was, if I knew where I was going, what I wanted to do. Uh, I was, um, you know, 
which is not a bad thing. I was just in my early 20s, you know, I wanted to see the world, explore, figure out what I wanted to do. But no, I, I decided that I wanted to help out. Um, so my, my first reflex was to, to decide I want to work for a company that works in the diabetes field. Um, so after graduation, that's how, you know, that was my first corporate job and okay. that company that made blood glucose monitors. And, um, and, and that job changed a lot of things. I, I met a lot of people who I'm still friends with. Um, they were um, uh, first sponsor. Uh, they believed in me. Um, they, I made mistakes and they, they, um, they um, stuck with me. And um, I'm very thankful for, for this whole journey. And, and so do you wear a continuous glucose monitor? I do, I do. Okay. I, I wear a Dexcom uh, CGM. I wear the Dexcom G6. And in 20 years, there's been like three big milestones in my diabetes life and, and Dexcom, the G6 is, is one of them changes everything. Yeah. Has it made it a lot simpler to kind of manage because of it? Yeah. Simpler, not simple, but sim yeah. <laughs> simple. Yeah. I, I mean, I was careful to choose not the words wisely. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, it's amazing. You, um, you, 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 you're able to see blood sugar in re real time. Uh, but even better, it's, it's, you're seeing trends, you're seeing, you know, if you're going up or down. Um, so based on how much insulin on board you have, based on physical activity um, that you will do in the next, you know, you, you can take so many good decisions with the data that Dexcom provides. Um, it's unbelievable. So it's, it's better control. It's less hypoglycemia. It's an improved quality of life. It's better outcomes. It's to me, it's improved my one C. It's 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 um, it's it's a phenomenal tool. Yeah, and I'm not sure how closely you've been following the space, but a lot of people who don't have diabetes are beginning to wear continuous glucose monitors for oh, their yeah. health. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of benefits to, to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, were you, so you get diagnosed at 22 is how soon after did you start to get into like the endurance sports stuff? Um, pretty soon. Um, because <clears throat> again, I, before diabetes, uh, no structure, no, no discipline, no resilience, so I was lacking a lot of things, but I still had big dreams. I, I, I at the time, um, I was fascinated with um, mountaineering and, and big peaks. And, and of course, my dream was to climb Everest. And um, it, 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 so I was fascinated by that kind of stuff. I was talking about it, but I, my actions were not coherent with the size of the dream. So, um, so yeah, you could say that the, after being diagnosed, that's when I, I, I really, I started to get serious and, and um, um, started to, 
it was about turning those dreams into projects. I think that was powerful and, and diabetes um, helped me to do that. Yeah. And it sounds like the diagnosis was very pivotal in terms of you getting this yeah. new mindset of determination and resiliency yeah. and motivation yeah. and, and all of that. Yeah, it, 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 it sent me on that path. It, it's, it's not to say that instantly because I, I had diabetes, you know, some adversity in my life that I was immediately resilient. I think that, that right. resilience and that mindset and that discipline and all, all of that good stuff we all want. I think the most important thing is to realize it's, it's not an attribute, it's a practice. So it's, it's not something we have or that we don't have. It's, it's something we commit to. It's a practice. It's a daily practice like meditation. And, and sometimes you have good days and bad days. I, I, I'm very comfortable saying um, that I'm more resilient than a lot of people. That's just a fact. I'm, that's not me being pretentious. Um, but I had to build that resilience. And I still have bad resilience day days, right? Quote, unquote, where mm -hmm. I'm not resilient at all. Um, and that's fine. It's just, you know, when I notice it, I, because I, we're all humans. So sometimes you, you know, we all know that you should never give up or that you should, you know, all the, and work hard. And, and sometimes you just don't have it. You don't feel it. And it's, it's, it's important to allow that to happen. Um, you want to welcome that. You want to chew on it. You want to see question it and, and and try to correct the course and maybe if you're having a, a again quote unquote a bad resiliency day then you have to practice a little more that day um mm. it happens to everybody yeah what 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 is like a like a hypothetical example of like a bad resilience day oh <laughs> this happened oh i mean it can be uh, in your personal life or your professional life it can be um you know not feeling like going out there and going for a run finding excuses right. uh, it's raining or i'm a little tired and and or i'll just go later or I'll go Saturday, you know, when I'm off, I'll have more time, you know? So we always try to rationalize and, and, and uh, find good reasons why we shouldn't go. Uh, so when I, I catch myself doing that, then yeah, I, 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 I try to, well, first of all, if you're able to catch yourself doing that, that's half the battle. Um, and then you, you, you can, and there's a very fine line between you know, sometimes it's good to be resilient, but sometimes you need some, some, some self-care. Sometimes it's a good thing not to go for that run because you need to rest, otherwise you're going to get injured. There's, right. there's a very fine line between, between the two. And then sometimes I think we're influenced by, you know, hashtag grit and hashtag I don't know what. And or it's it's something that's venerated in our society. Hard work, sometimes too too much. So, um, it's 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 it, it can be hard to know when it's time to go back to base camp. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a balance you have to play there. Yeah. 
so shifting gears here a little, getting into your corporate career after after school. So your first job was that at the company that was making the continuous glucose monitors. Uh, blood glucose monitors. So blood that was before okay. CGM. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And were you in sales? Um, I yeah, I started in telemarketing, telesales. Okay. So on the phone, not in the field, assisting the field and learning the ropes. And um, yeah, started my career that way. It was fun. Yeah. Um, did did you find that it was a good fit for you? I think so. I think so because because I was in diabetes uh, helped tremendously because I was passionate. I knew what I was right. talking about. Obviously, I had a lot to learn in terms of the technology and science and sales techniques. And but it was a good place to be for me because you're 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 speaking to you're selling to well selling even selling is probably not the right word. Uh, you're talking to, to nurses who, who care for patients, who, 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 you know, um, so it's not about selling them something at all costs, it's really about, you just, just want to, you know, highlight the good things your products do. And, and um, there's also other good products out there and just help them pick the right thing for the right patient. Um, so no, it wasn't a high pressure sales kind of culture, uh, which, okay. which I would not have liked. And I've, I've experienced that. Um, I, I took a sales job. So there was a point in my, in my career when I thought I want to do something else than diabetes. And, and I, I took a job again in sales, but it was in technology. And uh, it was a wonderful company. I worked for and with wonderful, very driven, smart individuals. But I was, I was so bad at it. And the technology, <laughs> I could never understand a thing um, about what I was selling. And obviously, I, I, I didn't really have a good, you know, I wasn't very successful uh, in, in that role. Yeah. Yeah, from what I hear, the, the tech industry sales is a very, can get very cutthroat. And uh, competition it's is, yeah. It's different. It's, it's you know, uh, ferocious competition, um, uh, obliga obligation of, of results. Um, it, it's, it's not for everyone, but I, I have dear friends who work sales in, in the tech world and who absolutely love it and, and they're excellent at it. So it really is about finding something you love something you're something that's not going to feel like work um something that you can use your your biggest strength um every day and when you're using your biggest strength um every day that's very rewarding um it's engaging um it's motivating so yeah that's how i would pick a career you know yeah and how long did you end up working in the corporate world for Close to ten years. Okay. I always say ten years for round numbers number, but it was it was a little less than that. But yeah, about ten years. Okay. And what are your biggest takeaways from working in the corporate world for all those years and working in sales and at these big big companies? I think everyone should have a a job in sales early in their career. You learn so much. You 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 learn about listening um to what's important to to others or if you don't you're never going to be successful in sales 
um, you learn about um, asking good questions and, and you learn about um, if you're in an organization where, you know, results are important, you, you learn about discipline, you learn about hierarchy, you learn about, yeah, so many things, but asking good questions and listening, uh, two big key takeaways. And that's useful in everything you do in life. I mean, it's useful right. <laughs> in personal life, in your, you know, uh, relationships. So good skills. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I would, I would definitely agree with that. And so, so why do you end up leaving the corporate world? Um, because I, I just, um, well, I actually left when I was in that um, second life part, you know, with the tech company. Um, okay. So I wasn't good at all. I, I did not enjoy the job, how I felt. Um, and and um, as unhappy that I was at the time, because I was very unhappy. Um, today, I'm very thankful that I had that job that, that made me, because you're never going to leave an environment that you like, right? Um, so, so to me, that, that was an obligated um, path, even though it wasn't always pleasant. But that led to a, a, that wonderful oasis that is following your passion and turning it into um, work that generates money so you can earn a living doing what you love most. Um, so yeah, so that's, I, I, I left because I, I was always, I had started to speak and um, I was doing small corporate audiences by then. And then I was getting good feedback. And then I saw people who were doing that for a living full time. And I thought, wow, I, I want to do that. That's super cool. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I left the corporate world to pursue my, my speaking career. Okay. You know, a lot of people will end up actually, even if they don't like their job, they'll end up staying for much longer than they should, or even just stay for their, their entire career. Like, so, so how long, like by the, by the time you realized that this wasn't for you, like, when did you finally make the decision to leave? Yeah. To leave that job. It was a few months and I don't okay. know how people who stay years in jobs, they hate do it. I don't, I don't comprehend how you can tolerate that for d decades or decades or all your life. No, it took me months. I was like, no, that is not <laughs> going to work. I, I don't want to, I don't want my life to be that. Yeah. And uh, so today, are you currently a full-time keynote speaker? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I left my last day job. Um, it was August 2012. So almost 10 years of full-time speaking. And that's, that's all I do now. And it's been a marvelous journey on so many, many, many levels. I, I, yeah, I don't even know where, where to begin. But personally, professionally... And, and I still feel like 10 years into this, I feel like it's still the very beginning. I've got big projects. We're growing the business. We're doing new things. Um, the audiences and, and the companies keep getting bigger. Um, so I'm, I'm very blessed, definitely. Yeah. And so what does your role as a keynote speaker entail? And like, how often do you usually speak? I speak um, 
about 60 to 70 times a year. It uses to be more, uh, which I don't recommend <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's not sustainable. Um, and um, yeah, I did a few years where I did 100 keynotes per year. Um, and what I like to do, because back to your question, what's your role? Your role is to have an impact. Your role is to help. Your role is to serve. Your role is that when people leave the room, um, they're not empty-ended. So it's, it really is about giving something to people. So um, um, so I think that's, that's, that's your role. And if you do too much, then you, there's no time for customization to properly prepare for, for an event. Uh, there's a lot of travel time. Uh, I think pre-COVID, I flew 102 times uh, in 2019. Oh, wow. um, that's, that's too much. So you, you, you want to, and if you're that busy, it means you, you're not that bad. So any speakers <laughs> in that position right now, you're, you're a few years into it. You're still kind of new. You're doing 100 gigs uh, a, a year. Um, you're really good. Um, so yeah, raise your fees, do less, do it better. Uh, I wish someone had told me that <laughs> because, um, and someone did at, at one point, but it was a bit late and, and, uh, yeah, that's a different story, but I was very thankful that at some point someone told me, so every time, you know, you get a request, they're not shopping, they want you. And then you tell them your fee and everybody says, yeah, fine. And to me, that was a, like a point of pride, like I'm doing a hundred events uh, a, a year. And, and the guy says, you're an idiot. Like that doesn't <laughs> make sense. Just double your fees, travel less. You're going to be so much happier, work with better clients. So that was good advice. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it, um, uh, it's a lot healthier um, because you never want to lose even if you're doing your, your dream job, like I'm very blessed to do, I still don't like doing admin. I still don't like, you know, being in a plane. I, there's even with your dream job, there's always going to be something, a part of it you don't like. That's absolutely fine and normal. Um, but yeah, doing less, but doing it better. And it's more meaningful relationships with clients. And then it's a more impactful talk. You know, that, that, that makes me really happy right now. Yeah. And did you have some hesitancy to raise your fees um, like at the beginning? Oh, all the time. At the beginning, now, mm -hmm. two years ago when I raised them, it's, it's never, um, it's always a little uh, stressful. Um, I think it's probably normal um, because what happens is you, you kind of leaving a current reality to enter a new world. Um, so that's scary, right? Um, it's like moving in a new town, which I think is scary, but I think is crazy exciting. That's what I've done all my life. Those things, I had no idea if they were going to work, but because it's exciting doesn't mean it's not scary in, in some way. Um, so yeah, the, that transition, um, um, and, and then you, you're going to have to, what's hard is that you have to say no to clients um, who want to book you at your previous fee. And, you know, I'm, I'm you know, self-employed, you know, it's, it's uh, so it's like, 
you, you eat what you kill. Um, that's mm -hmm. my favorite definition of, of, you know, being in business. You eat what you kill. So it's really hard to turn down right. the offer. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's never easy to raise your fees. And how, were, how do you think you were able to, or how were you able to like overcome that hesitancy in the end? Um, great, good question. Great, great, um, great team around me. Uh, people who believe in you, who give you the confidence to do that. People who, who, who like the, the uh, agency who represents me, who are, they're like family now, who say, no, you're ready and you're worth it. And, and we, we think it's going, we know it's going to be to work. Um, so, so yeah, to be surrounded by positive, uh, caring, loving influences uh, is very important. And they help you through those transitions. Yeah. So even as like a solo preneur, I guess it's very, still very important to have that oh, yeah. really supportive cohort of people around you. Yeah. You're never solo. I mean, um, <laughs> Yeah, maybe I didn't use the right words there, but uh, no, especially see that that's what because there's things that I do miss from working in a big company and uh, I don't miss the politics, uh, but right. I do miss having a team and teammates and colleagues. Um, so that's actually the most important thing when you you're self-employed, you're a solopreneur. Um, uh, build a strong team around you and they're not going to be they're not going to be people you, you hire or who are hired by the same employer but um, you know they're they're advisors they're 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 mentors they're um, people you go to when you have a question uh, they are people in the same field who are 20 years ahead of you and we can offer good advice uh, that's really really key yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, what are the, like the types of companies that you present to, uh, these keynotes to like, like in terms of like size, like what industry are they in and so on? It's a bit of everything. Um, okay. so typically, um, because of my style, it's like, I don't do coaching or one-on-one. -on -one, so it's, it's big stages, big events, um, you know, a sales meeting, something like that, um, an annual meeting, an AGM for uh, an association of some sort, um, that kind of that kind of meeting, and, and and businesses. Okay. And because I'm focused on topics, so I speak a lot on agility and transformation. I speak a lot on uh, teamwork and, and leadership. Um, um, and I do fall, you know, in the sports speaker, uh, motivational uh, category. So um, uh, uh, those topics appeal to every company, depending on where they are on their journey. Right. Yeah. And I was just going to follow up with like the key, the key themes and topics you touch on. But like, why do you think these companies and their employees resonate so much with the, your keynotes? That's a great question. Um, I, I think one of my strengths is to make it relatable and to make, like, to not talk about what I've done, but to, to pull all the lessons that are important and meaningful to everybody. 
from my adventures. Um, it, it's relatable because it's 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 very human. It's it's uh, it's moving. It's it's in. I tell people that I suck in sports. Um, that's because that's true, and and that that makes it more accessible. Um, so the the you know message becomes about you know all right like I, I sucked in sports and I did these reasonably big things so so it's possible uh, here's how um, here's what can be achieved with a strong you know why and purpose and um, and a few very concrete and actionable uh, messages um, you know uh, that they can take back to the office and, and put into practice um, the Monday after. Right. So that they don't kind of, they don't leave the stage and forget about it over the weekend yeah. or something or something like that. Yeah. Because regardless of like, it's always going to be, you know, people will, will laugh. People will cry. They'll, they'll, at the end, they'll be like so crazy motivated and inspired and they're like vibrating and they want to get out there and change the world. And, and that's always how people will feel after one of my speeches. But what's important is, is not that what's important is what happens next week. And, and cause I don't want what I do to be just entertaining. I want real key takeaways that transform into real actions so that people can truly um, better their lives and, and um, or, or overcome, you know, a, challenges in, in the, a challenge in the workplace. So when, when people reach out six months later, a few years later, and they say, I don't know, like I, I, I went for my first run in years after your, your talk, um, I, I, I got out of a, I got out of a toxic relationship, you know, like I, I, in no way, shape or form, I, I talk about that kind of stuff in my <laughs> keynote, yeah, but yeah. just inspired them to take action. You know, um, people, <laughs> when I started my, my speaking career, I, I once bragged about, like I had a really good quit rate. Like every time I spoke, someone would quit their job and, <laughs> and follow the dream and start their own company, which is kind of cool. But then I realized this is not a good sales, you know, a good sales uh, uh, by, uh, you know, companies don't want their employees to leave after you <laughs> speak. So, so yeah, so overall, like I want something to happen after the talk and that's what really matters. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And when I was poking around on your website, you mentioned uh, a few times the concept of unintentional complacency yeah. that occurs at these companies and their teams, like maybe without giving too much of your keynote away, like what is unintentional complacency and like how can companies and teams like break free from this complacency? Yeah. Um, well, like nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to be complacent today. And especially the companies that I speak to, you know, big, large corporations, they have extremely smart, educated, driven, 
uh, employees. So nobody is going to say, ah, oh, just, just today I'll be complacent. I'll just take a, a break. Um, um, so, you know, so it's very normal when in life, you know, we, we do something and it works, it generates results. So we expect the same thing to continue to generate results. And, and then we slowly, without noticing, become complacent sometimes. Um, we, we can slide into unintentional complacency over a few months or, or just it can just happen uh, sporadically. Um, so, you know, me included, we're, we're all at the mercy of, of that. Um, the solution to me is um, it's a daily conscious effort. Um, so just that, that short pause or, you know, when you set your intention every morning, because we're really good at, at coming up with like to-dos, right? Here's the list of things I have to do, but not, not, we don't always pay enough attention to, to or asking ourselves like, how? How will I do this? What kind of, what kind of quality or commitment or what's the, the type of excellence that, that I want to bring to this project? Or you know, do I want to do it well or really, really, really well? Like, well, how about I, I scan through this proposal one last time before um, sending it to, to a client? Um, so yeah, it's just that daily conscious effort. Um, and just to recenter yourself before you, you attack um, the day and it works. Interesting. What do you enjoy most about being a keynote speaker? The, 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 the emails after, um, because that's when you know if, if you're doing a good job, uh, if you're truly impactful um if you're really helping people so so it, it's not so much the emails themselves but what they mean right what had to happen uh for for that person to be compelled to write write to a speaker not just me right right um and, and it, we're back to having an impact um mm -hmm. that's what I, I i like the most that's what kept me going this past year it was a, a tough year obviously for the event industry and um, a tough few months at the beginning and then everything went virtual and I really embraced it and, and, and got set up for that. But the pandemic was a good reminder that, you know, whether you're on a stage or Zoom, um, that is just the, the medium, the, the, the way of delivering the message. So if you keep focusing on having a really good message, something that's compelling and relevant to people, um, whether it comes in person or on Zoom, they'll, they'll take it. Yeah, yeah, and I did a, like a three-day virtual uh, coaching experience last year. Was a little skeptical at first as to like how, I guess, powerful it would be, but the experience, yeah, a lot of, a lot of it came through virtually, um, which mm -hmm. I was pleasantly surprised by. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it comes down to, to, to it's, it's simple, it's about, <laughs> a message that's relevant and, and compelling and useful and impactful. Um, I would much rather watch and listen to uh, um, a really good talk with an image that's not perfect and maybe the sound is glitching once or twice. I would much rather that than something that is so polished and perfect, but empty, not useful, no content. Um, so yeah. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree. 
do you see yourself doing keynote speaking like for the rest like rest of your life rest of your rest of your career and like if not do you have like a plan for what's next <laughs> um i mean yes it's um I, I would like to do this for a very long time. That's my goal. That's what I work on every single day to stay relevant, um, to always bring new content and, and new stories. Um, so yes, that's, that's my goal. Um, I, I, I definitely, you know, <laughs> traveling less is, is um, appealing. So I think this is one of the great gifts of this pandemic. There's not many, but there are a few, and, and I really much look forward to an hybrid model where you can do 30 in-person events and 30 virtual events per year. Um, and and um, yeah, I think the, the, the keynote speaking, like I have different things that I want to do in life, but the, key, the, the keynote speaking is the expression of of, of the purpose of what makes me happy and alive. So, right. so if the, 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 so, so the way you express that can change, maybe I can't do, I don't know, I have an accident and I lose my voice. I'm not going to be able to speak anymore. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but I would just have to find a different way to express my desire to help others so we'll see that's interesting how you put it it's the expression of your purpose yeah i i, I was um speaking with someone recently um someone uh, who was very much so affected by the pandemic uh lost their job and and it was a huge part of of his identity and and it makes it so hard and uh that's the conversation we had like it was about what's your, 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 what makes you happy? Um, what's your purpose? What do you want to bring to the world? That does not have to change, but the job itself, you know, there's a lot of different jobs where you could potentially express that. So, um, so do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And switching gears here. Uh, and I want to get into your endurance sport, I guess, career. So like what inspired you to want to get into like endurance athletics and, and all, all that sort of stuff? And like, when did you participate in your first like long distance endurance event? Um, I was, it was appealing for a lot of reasons. Um, it, it, it felt like something really hard, of course. Um, for some reasons that that was appealing. Um, I, I, I liked the planning you know, because it's it's not a sprint, right? So those big projects, you you have to to plan for several years. Um, the sponsorship component of it, I was very, um, I found that appealing. You know, because it was a bit of selling, a bit of uh, hunting, um, um, and then to to accomplish something big. But not only that, but that takes, I don't know, like two months to accomplish and you're in really hard conditions. I just felt like if I did something like that, the reward would be even greater. And 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 I wanted a, a taste of that. So um, yeah, for all of these reasons, the 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 longer, bigger, harder stuff was 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 very appealing. And um, my first 
experience it was uh, well after after everest not that we're not counting everest um but um everest was a it was 10 years of my life it was um, a passion for a long time mountaineering and i didn't really plan on stopping to climb but after everest um i i, I you know because for years all of your money your your time off your energy everything goes towards that dream and so right. i just wanted to do something different and, and a friend at the time said We've got a, we're assembling a team. Uh, it's going to be an all type one diabetic team and we're going to sign up for an Ironman. And uh, I said, all right, sign me up. <laughs> that sounds cool. And, and I really became addicted to triathlon and Ironman racing and never really climbed again. Interesting. What is it like to be an endurance athlete with type one diabetes? Like what are some of the precautions like you have to take maybe before during and like after each long workout long workout and race yeah it, it's like having to do something really complex like really really tough and complex and then and and then having this additional layer of complexity which is type 1 diabetes that none of your competitors have and so mentally can be frustrating, but if you're not dealing really well with that additional layer of complexity, um, you're, there's no way you're gonna perform <clears throat> well. So, and it can be labor intensive. Um, and the, the, the balance between, you know, good blood sugar and bad blood sugar and, and my thing, it's, it's so fragile. So you can go from perfect blood sugars to disastrous blood sugars in not a lot of time. And, and then your race is over or you're simply not going to perform uh, to the best of your abilities. So, I mean, it's about testing your blood sugar. It's about keeping an eye on your CGM. It's about planning your nutrition. It's about the right nutrition at the right time. Um, stress hormones that can throw your blood sugars up. Um, the, you know, race delays. Um, are you using a pump? Is that pump waterproof? Do you have to swim? Um, and I, you know, I could go on and on and on and on, you know, about everything that a person with type one has to master. Uh, not only to race, but to be able to train properly. Um, right. So much is involved, but, but it can be done. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm trying to like picture like on like your Ironman bike, like that's a hundred and something miles, like how you would like do like making sure you're getting the right nutrition at the right time. And like, what, what was like, what was that like? Um, well, one thing I will say is that because you have diabetes, you're forced to think about your nutrition strategy. Um, so not that it's an advantage, but you on, 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 and everybody manages diabetes differently during exercise. So, and it, there's more than one strategy that works, obviously. So, so for example, on the bike, I'm, I'm, and my pump is pre-programmed, especially um, for, for the race. Um, okay. And I'm committed 
to and I've you know so just just to do that is is you know so many years of trial and errors and testing and all that um, but when the race starts you know after this well the swim goes and then you get on your bike I, I my pump is pre-programmed to give me a certain amount of insulin okay. so which which dictates how much carbs I need to put in my body and if I put too much, then my blood sugar goes too high. If I don't put enough, my blood sugar is going to crash. That's going to be even worse. So it's about the right strategy. It's about executing that strategy because you can get caught up and, and excited and you're going so fast and um, you're with the lead pack and, and then you forget to eat and then you're not with the lead pack anymore. Right. Um, right. So... So yeah, so there's there's a lot that, that goes into it. Interesting. On your on your website, you highlight three, I would guess, I would call them epic endurance quests, Mount Everest, the Sahara race, and the run across Canada. Mm -hmm. The run across Canada was the most recent most recent, right? Correct. Okay. And what year was that again? Uh 2014. Okay. So seven years already. Time <laughs> flies. Uh, what inspired you to want to do that? Um, I don't know. I, like I, I, I felt ready for another big project. I had a number of ideas, big challenges that I could try. And, and the more that I thought about the run across Canada, I realized it was going to be a very beautiful way to be, to have a lot of impact because we would be in a different town every day different media, different diabetes center. Um, <laughs> this thing was going to take a while, so we could make some noise for almost right. a year. It took me nine months to run across Canada, a uh, marathon a day or almost. And um, so the whole um, how we're going to make this useful piece um, became very quickly appealing. And... and I was into running at the time, um, the challenge, just the, the raw challenge, like forget the media, the, the purpose, the project, the, the, I just really, I, I thought that was very exciting. And I had no idea if I could do something like that, run a marathon a day. Um, you also have four seasons to get through in Canada um, and because it's a nine month run, so there's no avoiding, you know, all those seasons, um, different trains, you know, you start in the Atlantic, um, you, you know, forest, then the prairies, nothing, then you end up in the Rockies, everything about it was, was appealing. And of course it was heavily focused on raising awareness. Uh, of type 1 diabetes. It was not a fundraiser. I, I chose not to make that a fundraiser early. I didn't want the call to action to be, please give money. Uh, I just wanted, my, my dream was to, to make it impossible for everyone who lived with type 1 diabetes in Canada not to be impacted one way or another by this run. And I wanted to I challenged the team. We need to reach every single one of them. Some will be in in-person events. 
some will be through social media or mass media but we have to make this our goal to make everyone aware about this run but most importantly about what it means and that is that they you know can do anything they want even with type 1 diabetes interesting so another another expression of your purpose yeah no. purpose. yeah thanks for noticing that uh, yeah yeah because um i always say you know who cares about what i done it's if you do these things it's because you you love you know doing these big things um you don't want it you don't want to be doing those big projects to show off or to i, I don't know like you really have to truly enjoy the process and <laughs> running or <laughs> climbing i was was really 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 passionate about that um but the purpose it it gives you an extra gear and, and it's even more than that it's I don't know, it's the ultimate fuel. That's what you go to when you have a bad day. When you're looking at Marathon 137, it's raining, it's cold outside, you don't wanna go and um, you, you just have to find a reason to go, energy to get out there. And if you don't have purpose, you're, you're, in, you're, you're done, you're in big trouble. But if I, I remember, you know, we met so many kids and families and people living with type one. And often the kids would bring signs on the side of the road and we collected them all. And it was all in the RV. It was plastered all over the place. It was kind of beautiful. Mm -hmm. Every morning, would, you know, I, I, I'd look at that before I get out and um, try to, and, and trust me, I had a lot of tough days, like dark, I'm sure. <laughs> physically, of course, mentally. And, um, and, and um, yeah, without those signs and, and who they meant, uh, what they meant, um, I don't know if I would have been able to get out there every day. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. It sounds like you're due for another epic endurance quest, though. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I am working on something. Oh, you do? I was, yeah. Do you have one in mind? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> no, um, so this year is the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin, which is a Canadian discovery. Uh, it's actually a Nobel Prize. Uh, so it's, it's a big, big deal in our community. And um, I want, again, to raise awareness and, and to, to bring you know, a message of, of hope to, to people. Um, the challenge that I'm working on is um, to attempt to cycle from Vancouver to Halifax, so west to, to east, uh, in about two weeks. So that's uh, about 500 kilometers a day, um, <laughs> 300 miles on, on, on the bike. Um, wow. Um, and, and one of the key messages there is that the technology... So I mentioned I'm using a Dexcom G6. I'm on a Tandem T-Slim um, uh, pump. Um, and those technologies are absolutely amazing. They enable me to do what I do, but they're not accessible uh, all the time for, for everybody. 
Um, so it's really to, to raise awareness about the, the importance of, of these tools, how powerful they can be, um, how they can help uh, better manage diabetes, um, reduce um, you know, complications, which saves money to the healthcare system. So um, yeah, we really wanna bring that, that message out there. That's great. And when, when do you hope to embark on that? So the departure is planned for uh, July 1st, which is Canada Day. Um, okay, so soon. Yeah, it's coming. I was yeah. on the bike for two hours this morning. Um, <laughs> the, the training is going well. Uh, training is the easy part. The whole um, sponsorship and, and campaigns and social media and logistics is complex. That's the true challenge, the, the training I, I enjoy, and, and that's the easy part. Yeah, right. I was just going to say, you're probably putting in a lot of miles on that bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, and just going back to the, the run across Canada, like, how, how long did it take you, and like, how many miles did you run total, if you remember? Yeah, so it took me nine months. So I left from St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, I, it was February 2nd, 2014. And we planned the, we timed the arrival to arrive in, in Vancouver on World Diabetes Day. Uh, and it worked, um, uh, which is November 14th. Um, so nine months, I ran uh, 40 kilometers a day. So kind of like just a few kilometers short of a marathon um five or six days a week for nine months okay wow did any injuries ever pop up well they had to like fight through uh no major um injury uh, that that put me on the sidelines for for a number of days or weeks but i mean it doesn't need you don't need a lot of marathons in a row to start hurting so right you know, you start day one, you're fresh for two hours, and then it's just a supper fest for nine months, right? <laughs> so, no, everything hurts um, um, pretty bad. I mean, you have good days and bad days and good weeks and bad weeks, but it was really about finding that pace that I could sustain for a very long time. Um, I think it helped that it wasn't a race. Um, right. Um, and then you just find that, that, that groove, the body adapts. Um, I mean, the body was definitely happy when it ended, but um, it, it, it worked. And I think there's a lot of, to be said about that, just finding that pace. Uh, mm. We live in a crazy world. It's always about getting more, wanting more, all that, um, you know, or, or car the corporations we work for, obviously there's uh, results are important. And uh, we talk a lot about mental, mental health these days. What I've experienced in the run was pretty magical because, again, no major injuries, which is a, a big surprise to a lot of people, including me. But I think if you find that pace and you, 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 you respect that pace and, and you, you can go a lot further if, if you go a little slower, but you with consistency then going a hundred miles an hour, but then you hit a wall and then you're, you're in big trouble. 
Um, so I think that's why I, I didn't get injured. Right. Your body kind of in a way almost adapts to the pace sort of. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't easy, but, and it was also about, you know, understanding this, that your limits are not static, right? So sometimes you can do this, sometimes you can do that. And it's, and because you did that yesterday, it doesn't mean you're also able to do this much today. So we're back to, you know, controlling the ego, having some humility, being consistent, um, and um, just being transparent with ourselves and being okay to be vulnerable and say, you know what, today my limit is, is this and it's not really big, but that's just today, I'll, I'll do more tomorrow. Um, and, and that's how you, you avoid uh, injuries. Yeah. Physical, yeah. Or, physical or psychological mm -hmm. injuries. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, out of like the three epic endurance quests, the run across Canada, the Sahara race and Mount climbing Mount Everest, which one was the, like the trickiest in terms of managing your diabetes? That's a good question. Um, I think Everest. Everest? Uh, Everest, because you're, you're in a situation where there's no, well, very little rescue possible, depending on where you are, if something goes wrong. Right. Uh, there's no way to be restocked. So when you leave, and it's a two months long expedition, you're away from home for almost uh, three months, and, and, and insulin cannot freeze. If it freezes, then it's gone, lo no longer works. But it's only good at room temperature for about 30 days. Uh, and there's no refrigerators there. So the logistics involved in, in keeping insulin cool for a few weeks, but they cannot freeze. But if you mess up, there's no pharmacy. Um, right. All my supplies, my pump supplies, and then you can bring as much as you want, but who cares if you've got so much, if it's, an, if it, if it's all in the same duffel bag and that duffel bag is lost or stolen or I don't know what, who cares if you add five times the amount you needed? So it's all about. It's also about storage, like a fail-safe, a fail-safe storage strategy. Um, so yeah. So for all, all of those reasons, and I could expand on that for hours. Uh, right. Managing diabetes. Well, just managing managing my diabetes in altitude, everything changes. Um, so it's not the same physiology. So that was a challenge. Then on right. top of that you've got the challenge of, of being in a very remote area uh, with, uh, with your supplies. Um, yeah, that was tricky. That was a massive challenge. Interesting. Okay. And getting to these last uh, handful of questions here. So as someone with, with type one, um, what's it been like to, for you to adjust to this whole COVID impacted world? Um, well, <clears throat> From a type one perspective, because I have been home so much, sleeping better, eating better, flying a little less, ironically, the type one has, has been pretty well controlled. I mean, not all days are perfect, but from a diabetes management, COVID has now really impacted uh, me. Um, 
that being said, living with type one, with living with a chronic illness, you you want to make double sure you're not you're very prudent and, and careful and you don't want to deal with COVID. Um, <clears throat> and I, I I do get that for some people COVID is is nothing. They'll they'll be asymptomatic, and for some people. Um, it, it, it will be disastrous. Um, everybody has different perspectives and point of views uh, on that, but yeah, so minimal impacts. I, okay. I would yeah, it sounds like maybe more of the impact was with your keynote speaking. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, big impact. Um, last March, uh, I looked at, and, and all the speakers looked at and the speaking bureaus, our business evaporated. I mean, every single event was canceled. There was what there was not one left. I mean, there was zero left. Um, so, so that was uh, difficult times. And um, what saved us at the time, that's March <clears throat> 2020, mm-hmm. is that we all thought that by June, this thing would be over. Right. So nobody kind of freaked out too much. Um, it was just, you know, a, a bit of a vacay. Um, and, and, and then we realized, wow, this is not going anywhere. Um, and um, a lot of speakers um, decided to embrace the virtual environment. Uh, I've built a studio in my house. Um, um, got a few very neat tools so that I can provide virtually something that is super unique and immersive. I, I truly ask myself the question, like, what do I need? Like, what, what will successful look like in 2020? And what do I need to do to win in 2021 when we go back to normal, which is more going to be 22 or 23. But right. um, really embracing the change and embracing that new format, asking myself, what can, what can I do virtually that I couldn't do um, in, in, in person? And just attacking every day with the same drive like let's make like this is not something you know just that's just in the meantime like no like this is a real client spending real money for a real virtual meeting um this needs to be remarkable um so i've, I've been going at it with that mindset just to continue to create remarkable work and um um and I, I've, I ended up last year uh, with pretty much the same amount of events delivered than the year prior. Um, I think I, I was a little over 60 events in, in uh, 2020, 90% were, were virtual. So it ended up fine. But I, I do know that some of the speakers who, who did not embrace um, virtual, who did not embrace the technological changes they had to do like i don't know speakers still presenting with a laptop and and not good quality lighting or sound or um yes for some of them it's been hard because business has evaporated and and didn't really come back so it was a lesson in humility it was um helped us to understand that you know, wow don't take it for granted uh it it it, it it can disappear uh, at all times. Um, and it sent us back to the basics. Because um, um, 
you know, when you fly across the country to go to be the special guest and deliver a talk, that's kind of sexy. Nobody's sexy on their laptop's camera in their living room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it forced us to go back to the thing that matters the most, good content. Um, and, um, um, and, and so if anything, it's, it forced everybody to ele elevate their game. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And are you still seeing a lot of impact through the virtual presentations, you know, still getting those emails and all of that from clients? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, mm. definitely. Um, definitely, um, which is comforting, which is confirms that it's all about the good stories and, and the messages. And, and is it relevant? Is it compelling? Is it useful? Is it impactful? Are you helping others? So, so yeah, um, um, I, I'm seeing the, the same, the very same feedback. That's great. Let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation? It could be personally or professionally. Hmm. Um, good question. Well, I, I um, in five years, I would have accomplished, I'm working on a, a new show for when we're going to get back to in person, which is mm -hmm. very unique. It's, it's, it's kind of redefining what a keynote will be and, and how it's delivered and make it immersive. Um, just want to create something absolutely unique, uh, something that's never been done before. Um, so, and, and I'm working actively on that. I've made major investments during the pandemic so that it's ready when we get back to stages. Uh, I don't want to wait. I don't want to create once the stages um, reopen because I know that when we can meet in big rooms again, there's going to be a, a big love fest, right? And every company is going to want to have a big event and meet in person. So um, that is one thing which is going to lead to, you know, um, more business. So that's important to me. Um, taking a lot of uh, value-based decisions um, now, that's how I try to lead my personal life, my professional life. So things like it's about sleep, it's about fitness. Um, so to have accomplished that, you know, if I can keep to keep raise the revenue with less hours, strategic investments while focusing on, you know, something that I stuff that I love, like racing and fitness and cycling and all of that. Um, just getting closer and closer to that, that, that lifestyle that that's really near and dear to me. Um, yeah. Awesome. What does your daily routine look like? I it's, it's, um, there was no routine before cause you're flying, you're, you're doing a lot of things. Um, so, but now there is a, a routine that I love. So I, I, I love to go to bed very early. I love to get up very early and then start with um, some movement. Um, so I typically get a workout in uh, early morning, then breakfast, then I come down uh, in my office, uh, and whether it's just office work or virtual presentations, the, the, the well, the studio is here, the office is right there. So I spend a lot of time here. 
Um, and depending on what's on the training agenda that day, sometimes I'll pull the plug early, I'll be back running or on the bike mid-afternoon. Um, and then because I go to bed or try to, to go to bed early. Uh, <laughs> How <know>. early? <laughs> well, eight or nine. Um, okay. Anything past nine is, is a late night. <laughs> Uh, not, not that I, you know, sometimes it's, it's much later than that, um, of course. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an healthy, if I can accomplish that five or six days a week, that's a very healthy routine for me. Okay, cool. So as is the name of the podcast, the driving force podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life? Purpose. Mm -hmm. Purpose. Just, just. I love what I do, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to climb, I'm going to run and cycle, but that's not enough. But purpose is, is, is it's been my driving force because it's, it's revealed to be the ultimate fuel. It's, it's how you keep a team, because I've, I've had wonderful teams supporting me on my big projects. Purpose is how you keep a team involved, engaged and motivated how you keep yourself involved and, and motivated when you have a tough day. Like everybody's a superstar when you have a good day. That's, that's, you know, it's about, you know, finding the things that help you get through a tough day um, when they happen. And, and that's purpose. Awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, what parting words of wisdom or advice around, you know, motivation or, um, you know, finding purpose, would you like to leave the people listening? Take our first step. I think it's my, my most simple message. Sometimes I joke and I tell people, like my job is to tell people stuff they already know. Just take that first step. My, my whole journey was uh, taking tiny first steps towards big impossible goals. That's my whole journey. Um, every single big accomplishment that I, that I have, the day that I committed to it, I, I, I was in zero shape or form able to accomplish that at the time. But you take a first step and you build what's missing to eventually get there. And, and that's fun, that's exciting, that's inspiring. But you know, motivation happens after the first step. So you just gotta jump and, and go. Right, yeah. And I think a lot of people will try to, um, you know, try to do that big thing first, like, oh, I got to do the marathon or, or, or it's nothing. Um, whereas, yeah. you know, maybe start out with like getting to the 5k and then the 10k and working your way up. So you don't have to do a lot if you're doing a little bit every day. Mm -hmm. Now I do understand if, if you're only taking it one small step once a year, yeah, you're not going to go really far, right? Take a small step every single day. And it's not a sexy recipe. I, I, I know that. It's not sexy. It doesn't sell. <laughs> um, but it works. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I've accomplished everything I've done. Awesome. That's a great place to end. Seb, thanks again for coming on the show. This was great. Thank you so much. This was a fun conversation. Where can people go to find you online? I'm easy to find online, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all these things. So at uh, Seb Inspires and uh, LinkedIn. I'm uh, obviously 
active there. And my website is uh, sedinspires.com. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com, and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks to everyone who's listening, and see you next time.